welcome to the Girls Who Run the World podcast, where we're bringing you inspiring guests who are leaders in their industries. We'll be tackling topics from education and empowerment to diversity and inclusion. Together, let's learn from these incredible women. This podcast is brought to you by Our Gorongosa. We create specialty coffee with 100% of profits supporting people, wildlife, and the planet in Gorongosa National Park, Mozambique. Girls' education is one of our biggest priorities because we know girls have the power to change the world. Just like Beyonce said, who runs the world? Girls! Hello and welcome back to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and I'm so excited to be bringing you episode 19 today featuring Anna Almerico. So Anna is the director of the Idaho Out of School Network and with over 17 years of experience leading nonprofits, she's really developed a passion for addressing the issues facing under-resourced families and communities. So very, very important work if you ask me. And so in this episode, we chat about her journey in creating this career around under-resourced families and working with communities. And we also talk about the strategies that can work really well for communities when they're looking to address these disparities in access to extracurricular programming. We also chat about the positive effects of extracurricular and enrichment programming. So I hope you really love this episode. It definitely opened my mind up a lot, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. And as always, if you've loved this episode, please share it with a friend. We'd love to see you tag us in your stories on Instagram. We'll make sure to reshare. And if you haven't already, make sure you take advantage of the exclusive discount code we have for your first purchase of our Gorongosa coffee. And right now we have our single origin, which is the first single origin to ever come from Mozambique. So it's a really incredible accomplishment and we're very proud of that coffee. And let me just tell you, it is delicious. So let's get to it. Here's episode 19 featuring Anna Almerico. Welcome to the show, Anna. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Our pleasure. So we're going to jump right in to the opening segment and get to know you a little bit. What are you most grateful for in your life right now? Um, I work in a field that just truly makes a difference. And each day is different and rewarding. And equally, I'm raising three young adults right now. So I get to share my joys with them and celebrate together. And it's just, I'm really happy with how it's all going right now. Mm, Sounds amazing. I love that. What inspires you daily? People that are running these programs for youth and that are just truly inspiring and just the the gracious nature that I see of people who go above and beyond right now to be there for kids. Just, it's very inspiring. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. What advice would you give your younger self? And I always preface, if she would listen. (laughs) I would say to always notice the good, to just calm down and, um, you know, go with it and notice the things around you. Yes, I love that. Because really, it's the same amount of effort to notice the good things as it is to notice the bad things. (laughs) It's kind of, I find... And of course, easier said than done. It's a bit of a habit that I think a lot of people get into. But once you start chipping away and going in the other direction, it's a good place to be. (laughs) I agree. 
What's one mantra you like to live your life by? Oh, that's a good question. I recently read something by a famous Chodron, and she said, you are the sky and everything else is just the weather. I kind of like that. that. I'm telling myself that. I love that because I think that's something that I kind of visualize sometimes is that I'm kind of like, let's say, a rock that's in the ocean and the waves that come and go, but you can stay grounded in the present and what's happening and just let some of those things kind of roll off, <laughs> which it reminds me of that. It's beautiful. Who or what has been your biggest teacher so far? I would have to say that adversity in life has been a huge teacher and just being able to show empathy and try to see all sides of things. As far as a person right now who really lifts that up to me, my, my daughter's 18 and she's just, she has such a great perspective and she's always really looking at people's different views and how they came there and just empathizing. And I just see how far that goes for her. And it's really cool to think about living that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I think that is something, in my opinion, that a lot of the world is missing is that idea that we can hold different opinions and viewpoints and still maybe be working towards the same goal or still want the best for our society. I think that we've fallen off from that a bit. We don't all have to be carbon copies and think the same and do the same and act the same. So I love that. I think that is really amazing. So let's get started with a little bit about your early life, just to situate everyone who doesn't know you yet. So what was it like growing up? What things did you like to do? Give us the details. All right. Well, thanks for asking. I grew up in rural Minnesota in a town of 500 people. My parents were entrepreneurs. They had a hardware store in town and my mom had an interior painting and um, restorative furniture business. They had really hard work ethics and um, we had five siblings. One was adopted and they always had also invited uh, foster kids into our home. So we had a very active home growing up and I was involved in a lot of activities, basically whatever they offered in the school or in the summers. My siblings and I would jump in and, and give it a try. Um, midway through my teens, my dad um, ran for the state Senate. So we also had that kind of like emphasis in our life of that public servant role and just being engaged in policy and understanding how policies impact the way you're living. And I think just being like a small business owner too, we were really in tune with the community that we lived in. And so those are some of the things that I feel impacted my my life decisions and just being engaged and being a concerned citizen wherever I live. Mm -hmm. That's so cool too, because, and we'll get into this shortly, but it sounds like there were definitely kind of inklings of your current career in that it sounds like you were exposed to different types of youth and perhaps different socioeconomic backgrounds than you and different ways of living and access to different things. And then it's also cool to hear that you had some of that, like you were saying, that policy and that idea that it's useful to be involved in what's going on as small business owners and just as citizens, really. Uh, so that is super cool. And I would love to hear kind of how those things then started building upon one another 
in your career. So how did you get started in your career? And then what led you to work with the Idaho Out of School Network? Yeah, I, you know, when I started my career, just really decided that I wanted to be working to just kind of grow something that I really believed in. So I've always worked, I've been really honored to work for organizations that I love and um, have come to really feel passionate about. Um, So I've worked 20 years in nonprofits and I really prioritize relationships, I think. And so like that's, that's really a core strategy of mine in my career and the different fields that I've been in is just really trying to understand the communities I'm working with and, you know, colleagues and building those relationships and again, kind of acknowledging, uh, you know, differences and trying to find common grounds. I think that being from a small community, you're never just, you're never just passionate about one issue. Like so many different issues impact our communities. So that's really been kind of a cool thing as far as my career path. I've been able to work in different fields and sort of have that inquiry to dive in and understand them deeper. But I was working in primarily with survivors of domestic violence in the legal field. And um, when this opportunity came to work with youth and out of school time, I just really thought like, what a better way to engage in a proactive field where we know that we can make a difference for kiddos and really close some of the opportunity gap and help address the achievement gap by providing mm-hmm. equal access to enrichment to kiddos. So I so cool. Yeah. That's incredible. And just backing up a little bit, something that came up for me as you were talking about working with domestic violence survivors is that did you see the show The Maid? Yeah. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched I, it now. I know. <laughs> I basically cried through the whole thing. So her daughter in the show, for those who haven't seen it, I think it's an incredible show. I'm I'm sure it's not without, you know, its imperfections, but it, I think it does a really good job of talking about to the sometimes not as talked about parts of domestic violence, which is that it it can be very behind closed doors, non-physical in the way of like actual physical contact. And I think that is good to bring up because I don't know that everyone is aware that that constitutes domestic violence. And I think I definitely wasn't myself. Now that I'm a bit older, I understand. But I think that show was incredible at addressing that. And uh, yeah, my son is the same age as the daughter in it. So I think any parent, it's a, it's quite heartbreaking, but it has a beautiful ending. So. Yeah, it, they did a wonderful job, I thought, too, and just really portraying the barriers and, you know, all of the people. I know people maybe haven't seen that show, but I think they did a wonderful job of just showing how difficult it was for her to really tell her story and be heard. And yeah, that was amazing. I agree. Yes, absolutely. And kind of the concept of gaslighting that occurs with this type of violence I was you get a you get a little livid about it because watching it like that you can see that what she has experienced is absolutely a form of violence but it's not necessarily accepted that way so it's easy for someone else to say well you know, he didn't do X, Y, and Z to you. So basically what is your problem or why are you worried about this? And it, the, the flip side too, it was so beautiful to see the people who did help along the way. And I think that's 
what you're doing in a way, and I'm sure you were at that previous role especially, but now in a different way, it's like you're the working with an organization that can be that support system to these types of families, lots of different types of families, but something like that is just so incredible. And I think what I would love to talk about is a little bit about what some of those barriers are for kids you see in the types of programs that you help with. So what are some of those barriers you really see? Well, when I think about, you know, extracurricular activity and getting involved, often it comes with a financial commitment and a time commitment from parents or a guardian or caregiver. And that can be a real privilege to have those those dollars and that time to get kids involved. And, you know, in some families, the older kids are taking care of the younger kids to save money on childcare. Or maybe there's an older adult living in the home that needs care and kids have to go home immediately after school to care for a relative. So we know that like kids with resources have about 4,000 more hours of enrichment activity by sixth grade. And so we also know that by fifth grade, a lot of kids have developed whether or not they have like a STEM identity or they want to go into a science field or a medical field or, you know, so there's really this leveling of the playing field that's needed and an acknowledgement that those enrichment activities are helping to build, you know, some identity that maybe other kids aren't having the same opportunity or exposure to. So I really get passionate about after school and summer programming. I think we have, we can really accomplish a lot with making it more accessible and having, you know, programming for all who are interested in being able to support families to allow for kids to engage in in activities and fully participate, like really get to experience things the same way that kids with resources would be able to. Mm -hmm. I I definitely love that idea of leveling leveling the playing field. And to your point, this is obviously anecdotal because it's within my family, but when I see some of my nieces, they already have that identity of they might want to be an engineer because they've been, they've been going to summer camp, engineering camp, to your point, since they were tiny and loving it and being so engaged. Those cost a lot of money and anyone without quite a lot of means, that's just not going to happen. And so it was interesting because I hadn't thought of that disparity factor, but they really, you can see it. Like they, they know that they could be an engineer, you know, and if they hadn't gone to these summer camps every year at a top university in Vancouver, it's like, (laughs) would they feel that way? Maybe not. Like they might not have ever been exposed to that any other way. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's quite, yeah, it's quite important and I can see why. And I would love if we actually back up just a little bit because I should have asked this actually. <laughs> can you tell us a bit about what the Idaho of School Network does? Because we, we didn't go there yet. <laughs> um, so we, we're a support to after-school professionals and programs, whether it's trying to advance policy where our communities and legislature and 
state support more and acknowledge the importance of the role of after school and summer school and or, or after school and summer learning experiences. But we also lift up like evidence-based practices. I'm going to throw that word out there because that's kind of in, you know, the new term. But, you know, curriculum and activities that are true quality and where we can really do these things in out-of-school time in summer, where we can really help kids with unfinished learning and you know provide those 20th century or 21st century skills that we that we know are needed to to move forward into the the fields that that all kids really have an opportunity to join so we provide professional development for after school professionals and do some of the advocacy work and look for sustainability sustainable methods funding and um, community supports for for after school. Mm, I love that. It's amazing. So we talked about this a little bit, but I would love to hear more about what strategies you've seen work really well for your community when you are trying to address some of the disparities that exist with kids trying to get these types of activities. Yeah, so over the past four years, I've really prioritized getting out into communities and traveling statewide and understanding the unique differences and unique needs of each community. In the past year, it was kind of a COVID pivot, but (laughs) we were able to invest in a project called the Think, Make, Create Labs. And these are mobile maker spaces where you can learn to make and tinker and really understand the concepts behind engineering at a basic level through making and tinkering and exploring with science, technology, engineering, math, all these concepts in a mobile STEM unit. And so we received about a half a million dollars from different corporate sponsors and entities and brought this project alive. So um, we're able to launch 16 trailers across the state and host them at different after-school programs and and do some real specific training to the staff about the delivery of the curriculum and got the Idaho State Department of Education Science Standards Developer on board. And so she aligned it all with school day science curriculum. And this has been an exciting project because it's a strategy I think we always strive to use, which mm-hmm. is like get out there, understand, develop it for the area. But this, these trailers, there's lots of room to create their own curriculum. So the tools are real basic that are in it. It's stocked with all of these different materials and tools. And then each you know site that has it can really develop some place-based curriculum that is meaningful to them and that the kids in that area can connect to and relate to. So that that's been a strategy that I feel has kind of come alive in the last year. And that's always exciting to see, um, see things like that in motion and come to fruition a bit. Mm-hmm. And I was curious to know, so with that type of program, sounds amazing, by the way, how do you let, like, how do the kids find out about it or the parents? So how do you get them there? <laughs> Cause I know that yeah. can be sometimes a barrier yeah. because if you aren't the type of parent that, I don't know, sits around reading 
the newsletter. <laughs> how do they how do they find out about it? Yeah, that's a good question. And this project also entailed a lot of matchmaking. So it was interviewing different programs and really helping determine if they had good outreach, you know, avenues and how how utilized they were, if they had a cost to their program or if they were free, if they had transportation to their programs, if there were barriers to bringing in additional kiddos who might not traditionally have access. And so the the site hosts all completed an application process through us and then um, we provide ongoing training and support. We received a grant from the Million Girl Moonshot, which is a national campaign to get one million girls interested in STEM over the next 10 years. <laughs> so some of the strategies that they implore too, like, you know, the advertising, it, it, mm. we advertise with, with people who maybe traditionally aren't seeing themselves in science. So, you know, a mentor who might look more like the kiddos in the community who haven't traditionally come and and just kind of the the language too is really we try to make it relatable and inviting so we say our our science standards coordinator she said we're gonna go do science we're not gonna mm. go you know be scientists per se because that can be intimidating but we're gonna go do right. some science like now we're all doing science even though we might be you know experimenting with cardboard and clips and <laughs> pom-poms like we're doing science because we're teaching you know catapults or something but just starting to kind of reframe language and in that invitation being open to all and having family nights where we kind of also step through it with the parents and make it at times of the day that are helpful to families like if if it is a family where there's a lot of ag workers maybe we do it a little later and we have dinner <laughs> like, so we're also trying to provide some support so programs can can do some of those innovative things to include everyone and be helpful um, to families. Mm, I love that. I would love to end with chatting about some of the, we kind of touched on this a little, but I would love to talk about some of the positive effects of extracurricular and enrichment programming. So things that you do there. Yeah. I mean, again, kind of back to those 21st century soft skills. So we, you know, really emphasize the importance of healthy mentors in lives and that modeling and just that open time, you know, you're not in the you're not in the school day. You're not being graded. There's not pressure to perform at a certain in a certain way, but really allowing kids to develop their self-expression and providing those supports to those mentors. So we've been doing some trainings on trauma-informed care and behavior. Like how do we recognize our own triggers when kids are acting out? How do we kind of recognize what, what we're going through? Maybe I'm getting a little, a little anxious because that kid's like tapping that pencil a million times. Like how do we react that might just kind of make, make their behavior different? Like acknowledging and exploring ways to create plans that are kid-friendly and that are going to be helpful and bring them, bring them through to their best too. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing to see how many kids, when you talk, or even adults, if you're in a, a circle of peers and you say, well, why'd you get into radio? You know, it might be like, oh, I was at this 4-H event, or I was in this after-school program, and we got to play with, you know, speakers and do interviews and microphones. And, um, you know, so a lot of things stem from that time outside of our days of of traditional work or education where we just get to explore and let our guard down. And it's just, it's exciting to be able to, to bring that 
out further and and lift it up because it is such an important time of the day for kids. Eighty yes. percent of their waking hours is spent out of school time, and that was pre-COVID, and that was a study out of Harvard. But eighty percent of your waking hours between kindergarten and twelfth grade is spent in out of school time. So that's a huge time frame, a huge opportunity there to continue our soft skills and education. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And something that's interesting too, that came up as you were talking a bit about, you know, some of the barriers and that with the kids you see in the programs is that play is also, I think, so important because with our programs with girls clubs specifically in Mozambique, one of the main things that we want them to do is just play in a certain way because you mentioned too, sometimes they are here in Idaho going home to have to take care of siblings or a parent or something like that. And I think that is really important to recognize that a lot of these, I think, serve as time just for the, ch the child to explore something they're interested in and play a bit. So I think that's so important and it's really cool to hear that you're helping facilitate that. Okay, this has been so incredible and I want to really acknowledge you, Anna, for the work that you're doing to support these kids in finding perhaps something they love doing and giving them that opportunity to get interested in something that they might not have been before. It's really, really amazing. And thank you. Thank you. So we're going to jump into the rapid fire round. Are you ready? <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> What's a book that's changed your life? Uh, Susan Monk Kidd's book, The Invention of Wings. I don't know that one. What's it about? Um, it was... It was a time in like the early 1800s that it was set in that time. And it was the um, these sisters, the Grimke sisters, and they were true suffragists at the time where they became. And it was sort of the intersection of the suffragist movement and the abolition of, of slavery. And just a story of those, those girls in their life and their relationships with one another and how they really found their voice, the coming of age of, of their lives. It was kind of about like personal freedom, finding their personal freedom, but also challenging a lot of the norms of that time as a young woman. Wow. That sounds amazing. I'm going to add that to my list. <laughs> Favorite place you've traveled? I got to go to the salt flats of Bolivia called Sal de Uyuni. And it's just this really amazing place. There's pink flamingos and hot springs and it looks like you're on the ocean. You can't see anything for miles and miles and miles, but the salt that you're standing on. So it's just this very interesting and unique place. Wow. That sounds incredible. What are you most excited for this year? Um, to see some of my projects uh, really grow and come to fruition and not just projects, but like personal investments. My daughter is headed out on some journeys this year and I'm really excited for her. And then just everything that's kind of going on with the Think Make Create Labs and other things that work here that I'm excited to be part of. Amazing. What's a lesson you've learned recently? I would say that um, true forgiveness is true liberation. Mm. <laughs> cool. We can all keep learning that one, I'm sure. <laughs> and last question, name a woman who inspires you. I have to say, I, I got to see Dolores Huerta speak a few years ago. And um, she was, I don't know if you know who she is, but she founded the National Farm Workers Association with Cesar Chavez. Um, she's a mother of 11 children. 
And she continues to be an activist, a speaker, just a very strong female figure. And she's 91 now, which is amazing, but she continues to inspire me. Mm, That is inspiring. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Anna. It's been so lovely connecting with you. And I want to make sure that everyone sees the amazing work that you're doing. So where's the best place to find out more? Our website would be a great place to to find out more information, idahooutofschool.org. Amazing. Thank you so, so much, Anna. Right. Thank you, Emily. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Girls Who Run the World podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend who would love it. Leave us a five-star review and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. To learn more about Our Gorongosa, head over to OurGorongosa.com and find us on social at OurGorongosa.com.